Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the 4 Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and in this episode, my guest is Aaron Dill. Aaron is the head PGA Tour rep for Titleist Vokey Design Wedges. And in the podcast you're about to hear, Aaron and I talk about what the atmosphere was like in the equipment area during the week of the Players' Championship as the coronavirus pandemic was starting to break out all over the world and sports was shutting down. We also talk about what it's like being a PGA Tour rep and what his typical week is like and what it's like to work with the game's most elite players. I then give Aaron a quiz to see if he can remember his own handiwork. And at the end, Aaron is going to share with you a few tips about finding the perfect wedges to help you play better golf. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the Take Anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. I'd like to welcome to the Four Press Podcast one of the hardest working guys that you probably have never seen or heard from on the PGA Tour. Aaron Dill is the PGA Tour rep for Titleist Vokey Design Wedges. He is he's the guy that's actually in the very back of the PGA Tour van that Titleist brings out to just about every PGA Tour event. He's got a little section all of his own. He gets to close the doors on the rest of the world, and that's good because, like I said, he is probably the hardest working, busiest guy out there making wedges not only for scores of Titleist uh, staff players every week on tour, but also a lot of guys who aren't necessarily st- Titleist guys who want him to give him, you know, get, give him a, a little help. They, they, they're looking for some stuff sort of on the down low. And we are really fortunate that, uh, unfortunately, I should say, we are fortunate that Aaron's got some time on his hands right now, just like the rest of us. AD, how's it going, buddy? Uh, David, it's great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how are uh, how are things? Where where are you right now, and and what's what's the story out there? Well, I've changed. I've traded in my uh, my my grinding wheel and my gloves for um, kindergarten, third grade, and <laughs> seventh grade learning learning syllabuses. So we're <laughs> unfortunately, you know, we we're off the tour for a while, but yep. it's it's actually really nice, a blessing in disguise, to be able to be at home with my kids and with my girlfriend and just kind of spend some time with them and reconnect with 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 some of the 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 stuff at the top of the priority list. And, uh, so it's, it's been great. How is your seventh grade algebra homework helping out? Are you, are you able uh, to actually I, do any of this stuff? No, I'm basically telling them to skip things. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to use that. I'm, I'm, fine. I'm a little rusty. I'm a little rusty on my algebra. Hey, so. listen, listen, kid, when all else fails, X equals eight, just, just throw that down there. Yeah. And you're all good. X <laughs> equals eight. And it's every other in multiple choice. It's always C. So just, just take it from there. So, 
Um, you and I had a chance to talk for a while. We talked several times, actually, when we were both at Bay Hill uh, in Orlando. That was a couple weeks ago. And I was picking your brain about different things for the Masters uh, and for different stories that, that I'm still going to write. And there will still be a featuring you know, in Golf Week and on GolfWeek.com. But obviously, the Masters has been postponed. I did not go the following week to TPC Sawgrass. I was not there for the Players' Championship. And as everybody well knows, the Players' Championship was canceled after only 18 holes of golf. You were there. Um, explain to me and tell people what it was like in the PGA Tour van area and in the equipment area in the days leading up to the start of the Players' Championship. Yeah, I think we we're all we're all very aware of the situation. I think we were maybe a little bit naive in thinking how serious it was, but again, you know, we we did a good job of making sure that everybody was washing their hands and being, you know, just being careful. And you know, it's just no no more handshaking. You know, a lot of a lot of elbow bumps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, little little silly things like that. You know, we all kind of knew what was going on, and we were trying to be very careful, but but also remembering that we're there to do a job and, and just trying to focus on that instead of you know getting too concerned about. Uh, the severity of this of this virus that's going around. So you know, again, it's a, it's it's a work week. So we're just focused on that, trying to help these guys play their best golf, get them what they need to uh, to get through that week, and then go home and and refocus on the next one coming up. So when we were at Bay Hill, uh, I was almost sort of mentally doing this little exercise to see who was shaking hands, who was doing the fist bump. There were a couple of people who were sort of laughing and joking, kinda when they would do sort of the elbow thing and, and the, the concept of social distancing was not taking place. Obviously there were lots of fans and spectators there. You and I were there um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We both left on Wednesday and we're not there for the actual tournament proper, but obviously there were, there were fans there and stuff. Um, at what point did, was, was there a shift in your mind that all of a sudden like this thing was a real thing? The, was it the actual cancellation of the tournament once you got home or was there something along the line that made you personally think things are about to change? Yeah, I would say it was, uh, you know, when the announcement started going out on Thursday of the players championship, that's when things became real I, I, for me. And I was a little bit, like I said, I, I, I use the term naive to think that things were going to get really, get really crazy. Um, and I was just thinking, okay, this is, you know, we're, we're, we're being cautious. We're doing what we need to do to make yeah. sure that everybody stays healthy, but will this really be something big? Who knows? Uh, I'm going to go about my business and my day and just live my life. And once the PJ tour decided that it was time to, to shut down the players, um, that's when it was really pretty serious. And then, you know, the school started closing down and, and social distancing became a really big thing. And, and everybody sort of just followed suit. And that was just kind of the way it was. And that's when it became very real to me that we've got a serious issue on our hands and we need to be very careful about how we handle things going forward. Um, obviously, for your job, you travel quite a bit. You live in the in the greater San Diego area. I, I forget the exact town, but you're, you're in Southern California. You fly all over the country for your, your job. Um, was there a point before the Players' Championship when you thought, you know what? I'd rather stay home with the kids. I don't really think that I want to get on this flight or, or did that as you're sort of alluding to, I guess, um, really kick in after you got home. And then all of a sudden it was, it, it got to be the bigger deal for you personally. Yeah. I think being a, a weekly traveler, like, like I am, like my peers are on the PGA tour, you know, it became very, very clear that we were dealing with something pretty serious when you get into an airport and, and security measures are changing and people are wearing face masks and people are using hand sanitizer all the time. And you begin to realize that people are starting 
really be very concerned about what's going on in the world. And I was really more concerned about getting sick and bringing home something to my kids and my family and, and putting them in a situation that they didn't deserve to be in. And that was my biggest fear. I yeah. wasn't concerned personally on my end just at that time because I was just more focused on just getting the job done. But, mm-hmm. you know, as I traveled more, as we got closer to the cancellation of the tour, I began to realize how serious it was getting. And I just tried to be a little bit more careful about keeping clean and not touching too many things and yeah. um, just trying to get home healthy so that I could take yeah. care of business here and, and keep my kids safe. And that was it. So that was basically my, my, my whole thing, you know, it was just trying to stay healthy the whole time and, and move forward. I'm a, I'm by and large, not a germ phobe kind of person. I mean, obviously right now all of us are, and we need to be, that's a really important thing, but airports and airplanes in general are pretty dirty places. I mean, you've got tens of thousands of people going through places like uh, Orlando International Airport. Um, for you going in and out of, of San Diego, if you're connecting through places like Chicago or Dallas or Minneapolis or Washington or where, wherever it happens to be, I, th- it's just impossible to keep everything clean and totally sanitary. So I've always, within airports and on planes, just been one of those people where, like, I do wash my hands quite a bit or I'll make a point of like not really touching a whole lot of things. I think it'll be interesting to see how at some point when we all get to go back to the new normal that, that we all are, I think are going to appreciate so much more than, than we did before. Um, how much of that stuff is going to stick? How much of what we're doing now will transfer over? You know, are we going to always just as a, as a case, like, did you used to carry hand sanitizer with you when, when you would go, no. go to the airport? <laughs> I mean, no, I, I mean, it was like, like the biggest, the biggest thing I ever carried in my backpack when I traveled was, you know, those little vitamin packs. You know, when you felt yes. like you might be getting a little sick and yes. you popped it in those vitamin of water. C things, exactly those fizzy drink yeah. things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you do, you do one of those. Uh, you know, and I of course wash my hands, you know, as often as as I could. But you know, now I think this is a learning experience for us all. Um, you know, we all need to be a little bit more careful about how we live our lives and 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 how often we wash and and what we touch and things like that. You know, these are these are learning experiences that I think as a whole, just this whole planet needs to be more um, more careful about. You know, this is a way we, we can help each other all stay a little healthier. Yeah. I mean, not to 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 go off on a lot of tangents, but my my podcast, obviously, the four press has been a lot different over the last couple of weeks. And I think that we're all going to get a like I said, a much deeper appreciation for the things that we took for granted just a few weeks ago. You know, the fact that you can flip on yes. a ball game, the fact that we can go and see each other and join everybody's company and not have to consciously think, am I standing six to eight feet away from somebody? Um, are they covering their cough? Where have they been? We never thought about stuff like that. And um, I, for one, can't wait to go back once we get the all clear, once I personally sort of get the all clear to doing some things. And I can tell you that my kids are going to appreciate, my gosh, my son is chomping at the bit for baseball season. As we record this podcast, um, he is out there hitting a wiffle ball miles taking out all those pent up aggression <laughs> on this whole thing because he doesn't get to play high school baseball right now. And that's bugging him. So, um, let's talk about some better stuff. Let's talk about golf. Let's talk about your job. Explain to people what, who, who don't know you. Um, and I'm, I feel that it's great that I do buddy. It's, uh, I'm really excited about just being able to talk to you a little bit. Um, what, what do you do on a week to week basis? What's your job? Yeah. So my, my job, is to support Vokey Wedges uh, for Bob Vokey and the Akushnet Titleist umbrella. Um, I was fortunate 15 years ago to start with the brand. I was on a smaller tour van at that time called Fitting Works. And over those, you know, two, two and a half years of working on that van, I got to know Bob Vokey pretty well. 
and that's where I got my my start or my chance really to 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 get on tour and to you know to do what Bob was doing and I've been doing that for the last 13 years but my my job is basically to make sure that everybody who plays a Vokey wedge or wants to play a Vokey wedge and can um, gets the support the service and the product that they need every single week to be successful um, and that's not just with titles branded players we do have other players um, that I am fortunate to, fortunate enough to work with uh, and it's, so it's my job every week on the tour van and every tour van I go to to support those guys and get them prepared to play good golf so talk to people about what your normal week is like you wake up uh, because I know a little bit about this story. You wake up on Sunday morning of a typical PGA Tour event. Let's say that, for example, you were going to be traveling um, down to Texas and you were going to go to Austin and we were going to be playing the WGC Match Play Championship. Walk me through your Sunday through the following Saturday. Yeah, so I, I'm going to actually go a little bit earlier than that. I'm going to mm. go to the previous – I'm going to go earlier in the previous week okay. to, a Monday, Tuesday, to a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday – uh, those those weeks before leading up to the match play, I'm going to be communicating with the top 64 players who are going to be competing in that match play event, getting a deeper understanding as to what they're bringing to the tournament and maybe what they need, so I can prepare. Okay. So after I finish after I finish Wednesday, I'm going to fly home. Probably going to catch a flight around 5 p.m. wherever I'm leaving, uh, and I'm going to fly home to uh, San Diego. Drive home. I'm going to arrive anywhere between uh, nine and midnight. And I'm going to sleep, and the next day I'm going to get up, and I'm going to work all day Thursday in the office preparing orders and parts for the uh, group of players that are going to be playing in the in the upcoming week. So I'll prepare different bounces, different grinds. Um, I might prepare some some testing pieces, uh, and I'm just going to get ready so that when I get there, I can focus on being on the range and and trying to spend time with the guys instead of being trapped inside the trailer. Once I um, finish the work week i'm going to go home try and spend a day day and a half with my family mm -hmm. and uh just be with them and, and make them priority one and then sunday I, I get up really early i'll leave usually try and catch uh you know anywhere between a six and eight a.m flight get to where i need to be try and set up the trailer a little bit if i get some time and then the the work starts monday we start at uh 7 30 or 8 in the morning and we'll work until 5 p.m. We'll repeat that process Tuesday, and if it goes into Wednesday, we'll do the same thing. And it's basically get up, um, get to the range, check in with the guys, communicate. You know, we we're, we're fielding a lot of text messages and emails throughout the week. You know, yeah, guys sure. are just reach, reaching out saying, "Hey, this is this is kind of what I'm experiencing. I need some grooves. I need uh, to test a different bounce. I don't have enough bounce. I have too much bounce. The shaft feels." Chef is a little off. Uh, my coach and I are working on certain things, and, and it's basically you – know, I'm like a doctor. I'm just asking him <laughs> questions, trying to get a deeper understanding as to what's going on so I could diagnose the right things for them and, and give them something that I think is going to help them play good golf. And, and you know, like I, like I tell everybody who, who's asking you know, similar questions to yours is you know, our roles are, are, are half-club technician, but really we're, we're – the other half is like a, a, a psychologist. Totally. Um, and, we, and we have to understand – what makes these guys tick and the language they speak and, and, and that helps us do our jobs better because we have a better understanding as to what these guys are needing. Cause they're not great at telling you, Hey, this is, this is what's going on with my game. And, mm -hmm. and, and this is what I need. They, they just kind of throw out some, some different key phrases and words and you have to sort of guess. So we're, 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 we're psychologists first and then we're, we're club technicians and fitters second. And, and that's basically what we, what we face every single week. Uh, and it's, it's a week to week challenge. I can't say that every week is a certain way. We just have to, uh, kind of just be prepared for whatever. So let's walk through a couple of players and, and you've got quite a stable that you're, that you're working with. Um, 
let's start out with Justin Thomas. What what type of language? Yeah. How does he sort of talk? You've been working with him for for quite a while. Um, as far as his wedges, this will be part one of the quiz. There's going to be another quiz that's going to be coming later. But part one of the quiz is, um, can you rattle off what his setup is currently and, and why is he playing the clubs that he's playing? Yeah, so uh, he's playing a 46-10 at 47.5, a 52-12 a at 52.5, a 56-14 at 57. And he goes back and forth between 260s. He's got a 60-T, which is around 4 degrees abouts. And he uses a 60-10K at 8 degrees with heel relief. Uh, and that's, those are both at 60.5 degrees aloft. Um, X100 in the pitching wedge, S400 in the 52-56-60, all at standard length. Uh, tour velvet courts, 60 round label down. Uh, lies are all half degree up, so that's 64.5. And all in the raw finish. And he's uh, Justin, super easy to work with. Um, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you. I love the fact you can just rattle that off from memory. I know you don't have your notebook (laughs) open, do you? You've just got that, don't you? That's insane. The fact that, like, you know, I can just like throw out a player, and okay, great, like he's a top five in the world player. I get that, but like the fact that you can just sit there and rattle off all of that is absolutely stunning. So now that I've interrupted you, please continue. So like, he's super easy to work with. What makes him easy to work with? Yeah, so he's uh, first and foremost. I think that anybody that I say is easy to work with, and I'm going to be able to say this about everybody basically on tour for anybody I work with. I'm very fortunate is that these guys are very kind and very appreciative, um, and that makes my job very easy. If they if they were difficult to work with, it'd make it really tough on me. But the reality is these guys are great, um, and Justin's just one of the many examples of guys who um, says thank you, is appreciative, is flexible, and um, and, and makes just makes it very clear to you every time he sees you that he appreciates what you're doing because it is a hard job out there, and we're having to balance a lot of different things at the same time. But you know, for him, he's very consistent in what he wants. Um, if he has issues, he's he's vocal about it, but he's he does it in a uh, in an easy to understand way. So it makes my job very easy to do. And you know, he challenges me, but he challenges me in in ways that um, make us as a whole better because it challenges us to work on the the. Uh, the technology aspects of what we're trying to achieve in the Vokey brand. Um, so he's just, he's just a really easy guy to work with. And, you know, the, sometimes the biggest challenge is him just, you know, trying to get me to stamp something that's just out of the ordinary for him. Cause he likes simple stuff, but he likes, he likes to get a little crazy from time to time. So that's, that's the fun part. So a lot of people are going to listen to that rattling off of all those kind of stats and they're going to get some of it. One of the things that strikes me and you and I have discussed this a little bit, but I'd like you to explain it again for me is a half degree. So, for a lot of recreational golfers, they're going to, for example, talk about their pitching wedge. And if they have a, a wedge, a pitching wedge that did not come with their iron set, they might look for something, you know, these days, my gosh, it could be 45 degrees, 47 degrees, 48. Obviously, these guys are playing what we would consider nowadays to be very traditional, by modern standards, weak lofts in their pitching wedges and their gap wedges and such like that, because wedges in, or the, the lofts in irons, especially in game improvement clubs, have gotten so strong. At this point, it's not unheard of to see um, a nine iron, for example, at 39 degrees or 38 degrees, which means that the logical pitching wedge would be 43 or 44. These guys are in a whole nother stratosphere. But when you talk about Justin Thomas and that he's at, if I, if I heard you right, 47 and a half, what's the difference between a half degree for these guys? And how do they arrive at like, I want 47 and a half, I want... 51 and a half. Where does the half come from? All right. So I'm gonna, I'll break this down into two parts. So uh, 
how, how Justin came up with these lofts was through uh, self-testing and working with his coach. And, you know, one day he, uh, he was working with me on tour. He went and played, and then he took a few weeks off. And when he came back out, he immediately brought his clubs in. He said, hey, I want to check lofts and lies. And I said, great, stay in the van. I'm going to tell you what your numbers are. And when we're done, we can make adjustments based on what the numbers are at the moment. Okay. He didn't tell me he didn't tell me at the time that he had done any changing to anything. He had just basically came in and said, make sure that everything is where it's supposed to be. So I take the take the wedges back into into my little workshop, check the lofts and lies, write them down on paper. And as I'm writing them down, I'm realizing that they're in my mind way off of what they're supposed to be. So I come back into the to the lounge and he's sitting there and I said, Okay. I checked everything. These are your new numbers. And I said, based off what we've done historically, they're pretty far off. And he goes, oh, well, that makes sense. And I said, well, how, does that, how does that make sense? And he says, well, over the last few weeks of practicing and working with my coaches, um, we, we checked carry numbers on the track man. And we realized that uh, my math was a little off. So we bet some things here and there. And this is what is giving me the best numbers. So I said, great. So I said, these are your new numbers going forward. Cause at that time you just said, just keep them as they are. So 47 and a half, 52 and a half, 57 and 60.5, those became his numbers. And so that's why we weld out all of his numbers. Now we, we stamp them on there for him. So he knows. So that's kind of how we discovered what his perfect numbers were for his wedges. Now, the other part of this whole process is, is, is one of two things. There's a, there's an element of understanding how far you need to hit your wedges which is what Justin was trying to accomplish. And that's how you determine those numbers. And I tell guys all the time, don't worry about what the numbers are on the wedge. Worry about what the carry is. That's the most important thing. If you know you're going to hit it 142, then that's the number you need to hit it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll take care of the rest. And then the other part of it is, is, is probably just as equally as important is, is the visual connection that we make with golf clubs, because I think visually we need to, we need to love what we look at. And these guys can tell you, and this is how good they are, they can tell you when things are a half degree off. So if I give a player a wedge and he goes, this thing's a half degree flat, I'll check it on the machine, and sure enough, he's right. And that's how good they are at knowing what their wedges are supposed to look like. So there's this connection of the visual, and there is the, um, the, 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 the carry number, which also plays a huge role in, in success. So how does it look, and is it carrying the number? And that's how we basically judge what those numbers should be so one of the other things that you talked about in there was that he's playing raw wedges what's a raw wedge and and how is that different from a non-raw wedge yeah so over the years of of golf club design you know you've 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 seen wedges that were just shiny for forever and i when i first came on board with titleist i got into the workshop in the tour department and bob was showing me all these different wedge heads and at that time i was still really new to all the cool tour stuff and all these boxes were filled with these heads that, that just had all these, what we call scaling, which is basically when you take them out of the castings, they need to be, they need to be polished before they can be given to tour players. They're mm-hmm. heavy and they've got room to, to, you know, to grind. And so I was like, what is all this stuff? And Bob goes, this is what we call a raw part. And this is where it all starts. And this is how we polish. And that's when I realized, Oh my gosh, you've got all these finishes. You've got this, chrome finish which is shiny you've got this all black finish you've got this oil can finish and you got this other finish called raw this is so cool um and so the cool thing about raw for us is it gives us two advantages number one it allows us to polish um a lot of players like to have something special done to their product they like to have a profile that matches what their eyes want to see and they like to have certain soles and certain things that they want and when we polish on raw parts they all oxidize and rust the same way throughout the part so if you take a chrome part and you grind on it 
you're going to have one part that's rusty and the rest that's this beautiful high polished chrome. Which is going to, in some cases, some, if I can interrupt, is it means that when you grind out, for example, a little bit in the heel or the toe area, you're going to see where that has been ground out. And grinding is literally when Aaron is going to hold on to the head of a wedge and is going to hold it against a wheel that's a, basically a belt sander or, or a circular sander and is going to grind away metal. And you're going to see the friction. You're going to see sparks literally fly. And you're taking away metal so that guys get just the exact type of soul. Um, the, the bounce, the camber, all that kind of stuff can be manipulated in subtle ways. If you have a chromed part, you're going to see where that has the chrome has been ground off. And you're going to have two different colors, right? That's right. And, and that's... One of the many services that we offer on tour, probably one of the most important services, the ability to change bounces and profiles of these of these golf clubs for the players because they all want something that matches them right. and their needs. And that's where the raw parts are really cool. So you can customize these parts to to basically be whatever you want without changing the finish. Um, and we've we've done an amazing job of of polishing as well. So you get a very attractive shape and you get customizable soles that um, that basically oxidize the same. So that's where this raw part in my mind, when I first came on board, really, really kind of uh, opened my eyes. So let's contrast what we just heard about and what we just learned from Justin Thomas. Let's go to Ian Poulter. Let's see if you can rattle off Poulter's okay. numbers and then how is his approach to wedges different? So what, what, what has he got in there? Yeah, Poulter's changed. He's changed a little bit over the years. His current setup is uh, he's, he's all in SM8s, all raw, uh, 52-12 at 52, 56-14 at 56, and he uses uh, a 60A grind, which is a, a, a kind of a narrow camber. It looks kind of like a mini K. It's a it's a very cool wedge that we came up with a few years ago. We were working at the Open Championship. Uh, it's a very fast through the ground moving wedge. It's around four degrees. Um, he PXLZ uh, six fives. Uh, I think the 52 is hard stepped, and all of his all of his wedges are at 35 and a half, which is kind of a unique setup because a lot of guys will go down a quarter inch based on the different lofts they use. He's just 35 and a half across the board and he is a little bit light. So he likes his wedges a little bit on the lighter side, right around D2. Justin Thomas is standard. Uh, I didn't mention his, but he's uh, D3, D3, D5, D5. Whereas Ian's are D2 across the board. And some of the cool things that Ian does is Ian is uh, incorporating some pre-wear, which is when we, we basically polish the front of the, of the leading edge to create a little bit of extra bounce. Mm -hmm. It's like a little extra shelf down there. So when he slaps the ground, it pushes him out a little bit more. Um, so he's got pre-wear on all of his, um, and semi-square leading edges on the 52 and the 56. So a little bit square on those, uh, tour velvet grips, 58 ribs. He's got custom wraps. He put extra wraps in the right hand just to kind of puff those up. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you one little cool thing that Ian likes. He likes, he actually likes us to tape the shaft a little bit short. So when he puts the grips on, he can push the, the mouth of the grip cap about a quarter inch past the tape. So it kind of just closes around the end. Hmm. These are those funny little things that guys like. To, yeah. Yeah. Like to incorporate into their sets because everybody's so different in what they want. So those are some of the cool little tidbits that Ian is, is into. But again, another really, really great guy, uh, very easy to work with, but again, is very particular, you know, he likes yeah. and, and requires, um, all of the little details to be spot on. And if they're not, he lets you know. Um, and again, it's one of those things I got to pay very, very close attention to because, uh, um, you know, I want to make sure he's happy. So uh, those are those are little things that, that I, I know that Ian focuses on 
Well, I would think that in some ways it's actually better to work with somebody like that because number one, you, you, as you said, you're going to focus on exactly what you're doing in the job at hand. But number two, if he likes something, he's going to let you know, you make a note of that. If he doesn't like something, then he's going to let you know that too. When, when some guys don't give you a lot of feedback or you have to really drag it out of them, it makes your job harder. If, if, if Ian has told you that like, this is the way that I want it, I want the grips to be such and such a way, I want the swing weights to be such and such a way, and when Aaron was referring to those, those letter number combinations, D2, D3, like all those things, those are swing weights. And if guys like a certain swing weight, a certain feel, they want the, the grip to be applied in a certain way, I want a couple of wraps here, he's giving you the blueprint. He's telling you, like, look, this is what I want. If you give me exactly what I ask for, if I don't like it, then we are going to work together to find something that is going to work for me. But if you p- provide for me what I'm asking for, very easy. It, it's just, you have to go through the job and, and jump through the hoops to get it, right? You do. And and again, to, to talk about Ian, and you know, he's one of those guys that challenges you to, to take your, your job or your expertise and your work a step, a step further, because he's doing that in his own clubs. You have to do it alongside him. So during that, you know, during his process of exploration, trying to find what works best for him, He's challenging me to get better at what I'm doing. Not only is in just you know documenting his specs and his desires, but um, what we need to do as club manufacturers to be better at our jobs. So I've got one more player that I want you to rattle off here, just because I love hearing this kind of stuff and dorking out to it. Um, Adam Scott. Oh yeah. Okay, his his set is really really interesting. You knew this was coming. Talk, <laughs> well, I, I like talking about his stuff because. You know, we're, you just gave me two. The first two guys were were pretty modern, right? So, Justin Thomas is a is a low offset, you know, um, give me a little bit more bounce kind of guy. And Ian's very similar in that respect. You know, three very different guys. Now, Adam, on the other hand, is old school. And when you when I talk about old school, we talk about kind of old school stuff in his bag. He's playing some older irons with a bunch of offset in them, mm-hmm. um, and he likes to see that same sort of look go throughout the wedges. And and one of the things that he talks about is he says, hey, Aaron, whatever you make for me wedge-wise, make sure that you add a little bit of offset or add a little bit of what we call hook in the par area. And that's basically where um, as the, the, the hosel goes down into the leading edge, there's this little spot that's missing where we polish out this little dip. And it makes the wedge look like it has a little bit of offset. And that's, a, that's exactly what his eye is trying to see every time he puts the wedge down. It's just a little bit of what we, what we call the hook or a little bit of offset. So interesting. Um, it's, it's really a cool thing. And again, you know, it took me years to understand what Adam was looking for. You know, Adam would tell me he'd make this. And this is, this is when, when we talk about learning, learning golf language, Adam and I needed to understand each other better. I had to understand what Adam was saying. Mm-hmm. I had to learn his language. So over the years of working with him, I learned, okay, this is what he's looking for. Now I can put that into everything I do, and that way when I give him something, he's happy. So, okay, so he is using all raw SM8, 4810, 5012 at 10 degrees, uh, excuse me, 5212 at 10 degrees, uh, 5610, and he's using a K grind at 6, so 6006 K grind. All in the raw, um, he uses dynamic gold. AMT white, which is the heavy version of the dynamic gold line. Um, but he, he hard steps. So an X 100 at 36 and a half inch shaft length, they're all standard length. He is one degree up on his lies, standard lofts, tour velvet grips, 58 round one plus one label down. Okay. Standard that's, that's, that, what is, what is one plus one label down mean for, for people playing at home? So one plus one basically means, uh, as you put a grip on, 
you get automatically one piece of double-sided tape. That's what helps the, the grip slide onto the shaft. Now, mm-hmm. you could do starter starter tapes where you put about, you know, uh, about an inch of grip tape on the back of the, of the shaft, and when you put the grip on, it makes the grip a little smaller. So in his case, he's getting one standard piece of tape and then an additional wrap over the top of that to make it just a little bit thicker. So in total, then two wraps. He gets two wraps total, okay. labeled down. Yep. And then, I'm sorry, then label down refers to the position of the logo of the grip, correct? Correct, yeah. So he likes to see the, the golf pride, which normally would be up. He likes to see that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one less distraction that he has to look at. And it's just kind of always the way he's been. And he's funny because he's a little superstitious in the way he does things. Before every major, he regrips everything, checks his lofts and lies. Um, and that's just part of his process. Like I think a lot of guys are doing these days is they, they're making sure that all their little details are, are checked off. So, yeah. you know, those are the, that's his spec setup. Um, and again, some of the details is, you know, he likes um, uh, to, to have his bounces a certain way. So again, he likes to revolve around tens. So he's got 10 in his pitch, 10 in his gap, 10 in his sand, and 6 in his lob. Hmm. And he likes that hook, and he likes a little bit of that offset. And that's that's basically what 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 he feels very comfortable with. It's fascinating stuff to me. I mean, it's to, to, I could go on here. We've, we've probably bored the people about enough. What's the uh, – <laughs> what, what what is your favorite tournament to work at? I like Pebble Beach. I, I've always loved Pebble Beach. Huh. You know, we, we go to – it's it's not because I enjoy the tournament. I just love I love the I love the environment. I'm sure the I people at the resort are thrilled to hear that. But go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, no, I mean it's it's it, I I think the tournament's really cool. I think it's a it's one of the unique tournaments where you are mixing a bunch of really talented golfers with um, a bunch of really bright, brilliant, and successful amps. And I mm-hmm. think that's so cool to be able to watch you know, athletes and musicians and, and very smart people play golf together. And, um, I love, I've always loved Pebble beach because I just think the course is beautiful yeah. and I love the, I love the weather and the city of Carmel is just such a special place. And I've got a lot of great memories there and I just love to kind of go back there and, and get it, get involved in that. So that's always been a special one for me. Um, I'm going to put the, I'm going to put, I'm sorry, I'm going to put the over under on the number of wedges that George Lopez has mooched from you at uh, nine and a half. What, what is, what is the number? Would you say over or under nine and a half? I have no comments on that. That's an over. That means over. (laughs) (laughs) That clearly means over. Yep. Go on. Um, but, but, and I, and I always really enjoy a lot of the events that, that Bob, Bob works with me at. So, you know, we do majors together. Um, and Bob, Bob, I don't know if, if, if anybody who, who knows Bob like I do, Bob is a big fan of sweets. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> Bay Hill, Bay Hill is one of Bob's favorite events because he loves this chocolate cake. And every time we go, we get chocolate cake almost every single night. Uh, that's kind of our, that's become our tradition. So, uh, you know, events like that are really special too. And, and, but Pebble's always been kind of the number one for me. What's the most challenging event for you to work at? I would, I'm going to guess that it's Augusta National, just because logistics-wise, it's really challenging to work. But is there is there one that's tougher for you to work at? <sighs> um, you know what? I'd say that the two hardest ones for me to work at are going to be U.S. Opens mm. and PGA, PGA Championships. And the really? reason why is the PGA. P, yes, the PGA Championship. I'll start with that. Oh, I got it. That okay, one, go ahead. I, that, I've got a guess. That one is a mix of your professionals that are in the field, yep. and then you've got your club pros that are also participating yep. as well. So you're you're having to cover two bases, um, 
and and that's always a lot of bases for us to cover. So that's it's really more of a, a I'm staying so busy at events like the PGA that um, I don't really have a lot of time to give to everybody. And I and I don't like doing that. I like to give as much time as I can. But sure. that event's very busy. And then the the uh, U.S. Open is always a special venue in the sense that um, it's always very crispy and dry and very very difficult you know and so i always do my best to prepare like it would at a masters or an open championship but you just never know what you're going to get into if, if it's if it's what we think was a dry golf course in the midwest and they all of a sudden get a downpour of rain over days then the conditions change and we need to adapt so those are those are challenging places for us to get work done uh, i always try and do as much homework as i can beforehand but those are two very very tricky events for me so if you want to see some really cool stuff that aaron has done from a stamping standpoint and stamping is literally when Aaron is going to take a hammer and a stamp and smack in different letters and funny phrases and in some cases artwork go to at Vokey wedge rep on Instagram Aaron's got just a little under 15,000 followers um, and has developed quite a cult following out there of people who just love to see not only the setups for many of the PGA tour players and, and other celebrities up there but just what he does with this stuff. I'm going to give you now the quiz. I'm going to I'm going to give you a description of some wedges that you have created over the years. You have to tell me the player and the backstory if you can remember who you made them for. So, here's no, the first I'll one. I'll try. Okay. Name the golfer that had a My Little Pony stamped into his wedge. My Little Pony? Mhm. Oh, was this recent? Not that long ago. Not a, not like within the last a, couple Was this a was this a unicorn or a My Little Pony? I was, it was a, well, I've, my daughter identified it as a My Little Pony, but it was a unicorn style My Little Pony. Yes. Okay. So here's, so here's a great story. So um, there's, a, there's a young man. His name's Kevin Doherty. Kevin Correct. Doherty. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's the guy. Okay. Story. Continue. So, so Kevin Doherty, um, he's on the Corn Ferry Tour right now. He's extremely talented uh, and, and unbelievable guy. And this is a great story because when I first got into golf, I was I was in Southern California. I was a club pro, and I got to know this young man, Kevin. He was I think he was 13 at the time. He might have been a little bit younger. And Kevin became a student of mine. He's really truly my only claim to fame. <laughs> and Kevin Kevin would come out and we'd spend hours together. We'd hit balls and we'd practice. And he grew up in the Marietta area, and that's you know he was he was hanging out with Ricky Fowler at the time. And and I got to work with this young man named Kevin. He was such a great kid. And now he's out playing professional golf, and I think it's so cool. Uh, but fast forward to today, he reached out to me recently, and he said, "Hey, I've met this great girl. Asked her to be my wife, um, and she's my she's my unicorn." And I thought, "I got to stamp this on a wedge for you." So he ordered a set, and I stamped that on there for him, and I sent it over, and 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 that's that's where that whole <laughs> that's all... that that whole stamp came from, you know. So they all have funny stories, yeah. but you know, Kevin Kevin's one of the one of the cool stories that I can tell that. Um, was before I worked for Titles, was before I was on tour, and, and to watch him grow up and, and to become a successful young man has been a really cool thing for me. Okay, so you're one for one. Two more to go. Second okay. one is you made um, two wedges fairly recently, one that has a pacifier on it and one that is stamped with words like rocking chair, car seat, onesies, stroller, monitor. Who'd you make those for? <laughs> that's That's got to be Ben on. Correct. Yes, correct. Tell so, the story. Ben on is a new dad. He's got a new baby at home, and uh, when he had told me and a few others that he was he was going to be do, he was going to be a dad, he was so excited. And at that same time, he said, "Hey, while I'm at it, I'm going to go ahead and order 
a couple of 60s. I need a low bounce and a high bounce. And he uses a, a, a 60T and he uses a six-degree K grind. And he bounces those back and forth. And I said to him, because I normally just kind of ask him, what do you want to stamp? And sometimes it's just bend. Sometimes it's just BA. Sometimes it's just, you know, nothing. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, surprise me. And after hearing that he was going to be a dad, I thought, well, this, this is great. There's no better time than now to just kind of hit him with all the cool <laughs> dad stuff he's going to need as a parent. So I just went home and I started writing down all the things that I remembered uh, that I needed when I when I was a you know when I had babies at home and so I stamped as many things as I could on there and I sent him over and you know he and his wife just laughed they thought it was so funny so um, you know that's the, kind of the story behind that one I <laughs> thought it was a really cool really cool thing all right so you've already locked up the W because you've got your your two for two with one to go but here here's the real layup one for for me and I'll, I'll, I know you can get this one in 2016 whose wedge did you stamp with Mongolian Wellington jerky Bolognese and several other words like that. I, I'm pretty sure this is beef. Correct. Andrew Beef this Johnston. This has got to be beef. Yeah. You know, beef at that time was playing a bit of golf over here in the U.S. Uh, and he was he was coming hot onto the scene. You know, his his nickname was so funny to me. And he was such a great guy. You, you talk about some of the characters in golf. Oh, yeah. Beef is right there with some of the greatest characters in golf. Uh, and again, another one of those one of those very kind, appreciative guys. And every time he'd come over, I'd, I'd prepare a set for him because I knew it was time. And and he would give me free. He'd he'd say, "Just do whatever you want to do." <laughs> and so I would do beef related things. It was cuts of beef. It was different sauces. It was different dishes. Um, one time I did an Arby's wedge where I just put the you know the whole Arby's logo on there yeah. for him and. and and, you know, those, these are these are fun projects where the guys just say, hey, I want you to just do whatever you want to do. But I always make sure that whatever I do, it it's wrapped around them and their personality and their lives and, and what's going on with them. So, you know, Beef was cool about letting me do that, just like Victor Dubuisson and the Cactus and, um, mm-hmm. you know, little projects like that. They're, they're super fun to do. And I get to tell a story. I had to uh, I had to pull that one out there because I, I remember my contribution. I I offered up Mongolian. We were in the tour truck. I forget where we were. <laughs> I want to say that it might have been at Doral when we still had the tournament That's, there. And uh, we yeah. were trying, you were sitting there trying to come up with different types of beef. I remember, com- I remember you s- having jerky in Wellington. Uh, and I, I can't remember if you, it was you or I that came up with Bolognese. And I'm like, oh, but Mongolian. And you immediately then looked on your phone how to make sure to spell because the last thing you'd want to do is misspell <laughs> somebody. Have you ever misspelled one? Have you ever made a mistake on um, a wedge when you're right at the end of it? Yes, I have. I hate to admit it, Fess but I up. have. When's the last time that good. happened? What was the last one that, where, you, where you goofed on one? It's been a while. You know, you, you have those moments where I, I'm, I'm starting to map out what I'm going to do and I have to go into my phone or I have to get in the computer because the last last thing I want to do is finish a job and have yeah. to start over. It's it's the worst. <laughs> but I've I've messed up a couple of wedges and I learned from those experiences and, and I try my best not to do that. Um, but yeah, it doesn't happen too often. That's good. That's good. So for people who are listening out there, what is the most common for recreational players now, obviously, what are some of the most common misconceptions people have about wedges or the, the biggest mistake um, that they make some, give, give some people some advice about wedges if they're going to be looking to make a, a purchase here soon. Yeah, I think there's two things that I think, um, a- anybody who goes out to make a purchase should think about before they pull the trigger. And that is what really is best for me. And you got to base it on a handful of things. You got to base it on where you're playing your golf and the type of player that you are. What kind of mistakes do you make? It's not just about hitting flop shots and hitting all these crazy different green side shots. It's you know, if you fix the little things, the hard shots, um, you're going to become a better golfer. So it just, 
it just helps with that aspect. But I always tell people if you're gonna if you're gonna make an investment in golf clubs, you should go out and get fit, or at least go out and hit everything that's available to you, so you know better uh, about what what you're gonna purchase and why. Um, I I would tell you uh, for tour players especially, six out of ten players that I work with at Oceanside leave with something different than what they showed up with, hmm. and, and and they get used to they get used to playing the same clubs over and over again all the time. And I think that when we sit down and we really start to map out or get a deeper understanding as to what they need and why they have a, a better understanding as to what they can play better with. And so, you know, we have some experience, some experiences like uh, I had a great example with JT post and a few years ago, he came out to Oceanside and he had four wedges in his bag. And I asked him why he had those. And he said, I don't know. And I said, today we're going to, we're going to figure out why. And so we ran some tests and we realized he had uh, two or three of the four wedges in his, in his set were wrong. And shortly after that, he won at, uh, I believe it was in Greensboro. Yeah. So, you know, there are situations like that where we can, we can educate and we can, we can learn from those experiences. And, and anybody who, who plays this game, who's going to invest in golf clubs should, should expose themselves to everything that is available to them. Try all the different grinds, get an understanding of how far your golf ball travels based on the lofts you're using, and then choose things based on that. You'll be, you'll be a better golfer for it. Logical gapping, logical way to sort of go about it. I've I've come up with the next ones that uh, that I'm going to do: Bluto, D Day, Flounder, and Pinto are going to be uh, <laughs> the ones that. They, so so the uh, the Animal House theme I think will be very funny. We can have a good time with that. Aaron, buddy, be well, stay safe. My best to uh, to everybody out there in your clan out in California. Thanks very much for uh, for coming on the Four Press. Hey, Dave, before you go, can I stamp on your bounces 0.0? 0.0. Yes, <laughs> I think that is quite appropriate. It has no grade point average. All classes, incomplete. Yeah, that would be, uh, be outstanding. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks. Take care. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.